We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and a just-rising early-in-Vegas Mike. We'll get to Mike in a moment, but I'm so excited. Basketball's back, guys. Last night, we had a great battle between the projected two top picks in the NBA draft, Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, and they both lived up to the billing, and they very obviously wanted to kick each other's ass, and it was great. And tonight, we have another Laker game, so we are back in it. Fall is upon us. But uh, Darius, I was sad you weren't on the pod with us uh, the other night. There are some nights I was telling you this before we started. There are some nights that like I, I just want to hear the first impression, right? So I'd love to hear, man, take it wherever in as many places as you want to go. What did you think about Monday's game? Well, I thought y'all covered a lot of ground in yesterday's pod. So if the listeners for some reason skipped ahead to this pod and didn't listen to yesterday's pod, you should go back and listen to that one because I thought both Pete and Mike did a great job of, of sort of offering up some very initial thoughts. I don't know. Like, I guess my first thoughts were it would have been nice to see the full team because I actually wanted the Lakers to try to win that game. And in the second half, they clearly did not with everyone sitting out. I thought it just would have been nice to have like um, those three additional players there to sort of help supplement those bent units in the second half, at least. As far as like first impressions of play, I thought AD's activity on the boards was something that stood out. So like, let's say there's five things that stood out to me over the course of the of of everything that that I saw. AD's activity on the glass, I thought was good. I thought Pat Bev doing Pat Bev things was exactly sort of what I thought, including what you mentioned that I said in the text thread about like him doing a lot on on offense. (laughs) And it was capital A-L-O-T a lot. I think, yeah, I said I, I didn't want to use the word that you use, and you can if you want, but I, I did it at the time. So when Pat <laughs> Bev drew those fouls, I said Pat Bev with the grift because he grifted his ways to a couple Amen. of fouls. That's where to describe it. And some free it. throws. It's just like, look, Bev, like every team has dudes that operate in that way. And so I'm not going to be like, oh, like, 
Well, and I'm you got to find a way here. to win too, right? Like at that point, the guys on the court were Pat Bev, Austin, JTA, Wenyon, and Thomas Bryant. Not one of them averaged 10 points a game last year. You got the other team in the penalty? Yeah, I'm going to run into you a little bit and make you send me to the free throw line. It's our best chance to score. Mike, you brought up his um, plus minus and net rating stuff on the telecast, and you've brought it up on the pod as well. And why do you think he has those positive plus minuses and those positive net ratings. It's, it's because of stuff like that. It's just like that. That's how you game the system a little bit. Right. And it's how like, Oh, okay. Well during my shift, I was plus two. Well, guess how you ended up being plus two. I drew a BS foul (laughs) and shot two free throws. And that gave me my plus two. Right. So anyways, Pat Bev stood out to me when in Gabriel, stood out to me in a positive way. I thought his foot speed and his athleticism and just his eagerness defensively was um was was great. So those are all positives on the negative side. Um I thought the centers they didn't really impress me that much. I thought that they both struggled in their own way. I did rewatch and at first I thought they both struggled to the same degree. But then in my rewatch, um, at least in the first half, I thought Thomas Bryant was actually better mm-hmm. than Damian Jones Agreed. in several ways. And then another thing that stood out to me was LeBron's cardio session, <laughs> because that's what it was for uh-huh. LeBron. He was out there getting in his cardio. He joked a little bit after the fact that it's just like he'd been over before and he cited some games where he had been over seven or over nine. But then he ended up playing 35 minutes or so. So he found his rhythm. But that game, it was only 15 minutes. Well, He played that game like he knew he was going to play 15 minutes and not in the good way, but sort of in the throwaway way. Like, I'm going to get two shifts. I'm going to go out there and break a sweat and get some running in, get some up and down in, but not really push. And I thought that that was particularly true defensively. Like, um, he made a couple of good rotations, but a couple of times he was like, okay, frogger a little bit where like the cars are going around him and he's just sort of in the middle there and waiting for him to sort of always step with out the current into references on this podcast where you can always rely on us for something from 40 years ago look man it's just like so guys, frogger like was a video game thank you mike uh, had and, and keep rolling i'm gonna mute myself again no, you turned into the Laker Film Room podcast, not some pod where two 18-year-olds talking to you about whatever 18-year-olds talk about, right? This is us. So those were sort of the handful of things that were at the sort of top of my list of, of things that stood out to me. There, there's a bunch of other things that we could discuss about the game, but y'all did a lot of that yesterday. But that's sort of where I was at. A nice, good showing. I thought their defense was good in the first half, and the first half was really all that mattered to me because, like I said, in the second half— Um, The Lakers weren't trying to win, quote unquote, the game. They were just trying to sort of test out a bunch of guys. Preseason. So you're there was nothing that even approached the Darius displeasure scale, right? Because now that the season's back, you know, the scale doesn't even exist really in the preseason um, within this context. Like last year, it did more because I was just like (laughs) I was eager to sort of see what these guys meant. But it's just like maybe by game three. I might have some displeasurable stuff, but not the first game. It was sort of just like, ah, toes in the waters sort of thing. I I also want to point out, too, that we lost by 30. And I get like there are all of the reasons why in the second half and all that. I'm tired of losing games by 30. And so there's certainly like a lizard brain part of me that's like, hey, let's go 
kick the Suns' ass tonight. Speaking of, and they kick our ass every single time. Last couple of years, they take special joy in doing that. I also think their wave has maybe crested a bit. They certainly don't have the vibes going into this year, right, Mike? But they did just lose to an Australian team, uh, and you know, get mocked for it. Even though I am, I'm not one of those people that mocks teams for losing to um, other professional league teams in the preseason. Uh, this this goes from a a little bit more of a soccer backer, but yeah. So I, I think that that will eliminate their, uh, I think they will come out and play a lot harder Pete than they would against, uh, basically in any other situation in the preseason. Agreed. Where are y'all at going into this game? Because one of the things I meant to ask you in the pod that we did on Sunday in advance of, of Monday's game was, was I wanted to ask like, Hey, how important is it to you that they win this game? Right. Mm -hmm. Like the Monday game. And we didn't get to it because we covered a bunch of other ground in a lot of other ways. So I'll pose that to you now. How important is it to you guys that they actually win this game or in in general, the preseason games? Because last year, over and this year, I think it kind of is important that they stack some W's here. Yeah, it's it's important to me to a certain degree. It's important within the construct of LeBron and A.D. and. Russ and just like the main Pat Bev, the main rotation guys, the 30 minute per game type of guys that they are ramping themselves up in the way that preseason is intended to be. So for as much as like, yeah, that was a cardio session for LeBron basically in that first preseason game, like it's kind of what you want, right? Like that's where he is. And I think that one of Mike's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mike, but one of your underlying points about LeBron is like, you can't ask him to carry so much. And part of how that looks like is like, yeah, game one of the preseason, like just get into it again, get into the flow, ramp up slowly. And so I want to win games within the context of that. I like how you put that. And I wanted you to go first there because I wanted to make one other point to that Darius was jumping off and it's about the grifting stuff. And I'm a, <laughs> so I've, a, I have an evolved mind for this specific year on it. So I hope I don't sound hypocritical, but you know, you guys know this, like when the Lakers were, here's a good example. They're playing against Phoenix, you know, last couple of years and Jay Crowder kicks out his leg 16 feet on every oh, single jump shot. Disgusting. And that's the kind of thing that, that drives me crazy from a, not from a Lakers versus Suns or whatever, just from a basketball purist perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't like that. I, I always, I, I always talk about the difference between Kobe trying to get the guy to follow him versus a guy like I used to bring Lou Will up a lot, like trying to get the ref to make a call because he does something that's basically a trick in some ways. And so I don't Mm -hmm. want to be inconsistent when Pat Bev does do that stuff. I do not endorse it as a basketball (laughs) person, but like for what the Lakers, where the Lakers were last year and where they need to get to this year that I'm even allowing a little bit of grift. Not saying that I fully endorse, but I I do like, I get it. You're going to look the other way, Mike. I'm going to look the other way a little bit. I, I mean, my threshold. Partisan is, politics here. That's right. This is partisan. I'm Mike, Mike is Lakers I'm, partisan. I'm, well, I'm, I'm going to try not to go that far and say that I'm partisan because I, what, I, what, I, what I'm going to try to do is do my job and just deliver the things that are happening because Lakers fans want the real. Um, with mm-hmm. that said, I also acknowledge that, you know, you guys who grew up Lakers fans, there, there, there is a little bit of a subtle difference there, but I'm – I don't like how I boxed myself into this conversation um, with with it, but it's it bothered me less than I expected to. Uh, let me just put it that way: um, a because I was expecting it to happen, and b just because of the scenario that the Lakers were in, where 
there just was not enough even of that type of stuff last year. So I'm uh, I get it. Pat Bev is just a really in the moment person. And I, that was part of what I loved about that first foul. Cause the second one, he was boxing out Trey Lyles. So that was what was interesting about those four free throws is the first one was definitely grift. The second one was a good play. Like, and yeah. in the way that we didn't have that last year in that, like we weren't putting a freaking body on somebody to box them out. Not that we rebounded well on the defensive glass. The freaking long rebounds are killing me in that last game. What about the one where he tried to do the rip through 40 feet from the basket and then lost the ball? <laughs> yeah. And then he looked at the ref. That was the one where I was just like, I was almost happy he didn't get that call just yeah. because I'm just like, no, that's the one I can't endorse. Like, do not <laughs> do not do a rip through 40 feet from yeah. the hoop because I'm going to be like, come on, Pat Bev. We don't want that. And the reason why, and I like that Pete made that distinction, uh, first of all, between the first two, but the reason why is because eventually that stuff doesn't work when you're trying to win mm. and that eventual stuff is typically the playoffs yep. and, and Chris Paul every year, it's like this harsh reality that he goes through. Same thing with Harden. And it's like, Oh wait, well, you've been giving me this call all year. Now you're not going to give it to me when it matters. And then it ends up hurting the team and his, you know, Harden. And I, I got to look up Chris Paul, but you know, certainly the will, some of these guys, their production and net rating and all of that go down at least a little bit. Um, when, because the refs eventually are like, especially in a series, Game after game, they're they're just not gonna give you that stuff. But the Lakers at this point just need to get back to the yeah, to those postseason type games. And and then and that's sort of what I mean is where his his intention and his mind is just based off of trying to use that to get to win and basically doing the things that it needs to get to win. And I think eventually that kind of stuff needs to be mitigated. But that's that's where I'm if to sort of re-explain my position. It's it's more about that. I mean, for sure. And but again, it's about understanding the moment that you're in as well. Right. Again, nobody else on the floor at the time was scoring, you know, it, uh, was a double digit scorer. If he's on the court with either LeBron or AD, I'm, that's actually one of the things I was curious about is like, oh, are we going to have minutes without LeBron or AD on the floor under Darwin? We don't know that yet. Right. And uh, and so. Just that sort of like, well, right now in this situation in the late first quarter against the Sacramento Kings, that's the moment I'm in now. I'm not playing in the playoffs right now. I'm playing against the Sacramento Kings. But if if LeBron and if it's a higher level situation and LeBron's on the floor, like and you're in game five of a series and Pat Bev is, or has not like one of the things that happens is series basketball is different than regular season basketball and that you're playing the same guy over and over again. And so that little cheap trick that he does where he gathers in a weird place where there's no earthly reason for him to gather there to actually shoot the ball. It's to gather there to draw the foul, right, Mike? And so that like that goes away, but then you actually have to play real basketball, which I think is a big part of your point. Exactly. Or it's or it's the Trey Young stopping at the free throw line, right, and letting the defender run into him, which they stopped calling early in the season, then got back to a little bit. But what I guess the the to the last point on it is that say Kobe, LeBron, the other team's got four fouls. Okay, I'm going hard to the rim here. Right. So as opposed yes. to in Beverly's like, how can I get him to follow me? So that's the difference is you can still get to the bonus. Oh, yeah. Right. But you know, now Beverly's not going to go to the rim and get a foul. Right. In fact, we, we did see him try to some of that penetration stuff. So he knows his own limits in that sense, too. Mm -hmm. And to Pete's point, there wasn't somebody on the floor necessarily that was just going to put his head down and go draw a foul. 
you know, based on respect and making the defense do something to him. So that in his calculations, that probably was the play that was going to get him to the free throw. So I get it all. It's just it, it's a, it's interesting how many things go into a decision like that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation about gaming the system. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we had a rule change over the course of this summer, guys, that is, I think, kind of based on the idea of gaming the system in an environment like this. Pat Bev isn't the only person who's making this, I'll find any way I possibly can to win calculation. And one of the tactics that's developed over the last few years are, has been the take foul, that at the beginning of an obvious advantageous position for the offense, the defense fouls the guy in the backcourt before any of that can develop, with the understanding that you probably just saved a sure two points, maybe even three in today's NBA, where a lot of times guys are spraying out to that open three. And so we have an interesting team in that respect. We have a super athletic starting unit as of right now that ideally we're going to be flying up and down the court. We're a Russell Westbrook team, a LeBron James team, an Anthony Davis team, all of whom have dominant qualities in transition. We are also a high take foul team. Russell Westbrook led the league last year in take fouls by a significant amount. So, D, I'm real curious. We haven't talked about this, especially in context with the Lakers. What do you think about that rule change? Darius, can I jump in and give you the the rule? So I was in the broadcast meetings, right? And they, I took a picture of the, what they said about transition take fouls. Um, and, and I just pulled it out. But so it's the new rule. It's the intention is to impose a heightened penalty when the defense commits a transition take foul, so as people, the offense is awarded one free throw attempt by a player in the game in possession, the rationale, reduce game stoppage caused by an unesthetic un- non-basketball play and increase the number of exciting fast break opportunities. And then, of course, they proved the concept um, in the G League last year. But it was I, I almost gave it a standing out when they uh, brought that up in the room. And very excited about this, Darius. <laughs> now, how does it actually affect this year's team? Is, to Pete's question is, is an interesting one. I wanted to see where Pat Bev was on that list, too, in terms of giving take fouls, because I would bet he was somewhere in the top 10 or 15 of guys who gave those those fouls, too. And so Russ led the league. Pat Bev was another guy because that same that same mentality of I'm trying to win. So let me draw this foul. It's also I'm trying to win. Let me take this foul in order to negate 
what I think is advantage. And this is where Mike's history in soccer also could come into play because there is like there is the advantage rule in soccer where it's just like, oh, I'm trying to give this foul. Right. It's just like, no, dog. Sorry, we ain't we ain't blowing our whistle for this foul right now. Like this is a play on for us. Like these dudes are in the open field. They're trying to create a scoring chance. We're not bailing you out because you're behind the play. And and, and so I am I am interested in the application of this rule because NBA players are smart. A take foul is a take foul because it looks like a take foul. It's like, oh, here mm. a guy is running in the open court. I'm just going to go up and grab him like I'm trying to, like, give him a hug, Mike. And NBA players, they're going to be like, well, that that is illegal. But what happens if I'm reaching in mm -hmm. and trying to steal the ball from you yes. and all right where it's just like it, this is a take foul, but it's not a take foul because, look, I'm making a basketball play in the same way that like in football, Mike, where it's just like, well, he made a football move after the catch. And so now that is a fumble versus an incomplete pass. It's the it's like don't ask an NBA player to evolve because he will evolve. That's how the step back happen and the crab dribble and the gather and all like all of those are innovations mm -hmm. based off of like these are the rules we're gonna press up against the rules as much as we can so it's the interpretation of this stuff and the application of of it that i am super interested in so this rule comes out maybe the players association sends out an email or something or whatever it is and Pat Bev and Chris Paul and Lou Will are on a group text. <laughs> like, all right, guys. So Harden jumps in there. They're like, what, all right, what are we going to do here? And Darius already hit on the point because they, somebody asked one of the, uh, I'm trying to think who it was, one of the analysts who's been around for a while raised his hand after they were presenting the transition take files and how it's going to take place. And he's like, well, can't guys just make a play on the ball? And the answer is, well, yeah, you can't. If somebody swipes at the ball and they actually either get the ball or just take, get the arm while getting the ball, it's mm -hmm. not a take foul. Right. So then so that is the way now it's going to be a foul in and or if they get the ball. But you can't completely legislate those kinds of things out. But I, I do think this this does. It will get rid of the ones that are really annoying because yeah. some of this Pete, is just about optics, 100 percent. Right? It's an entertainment product. It's, yeah, so when, when you just grab a dude, and Darius made the great reference with soccer, and in soccer, yeah, you can take a professional foul. And sometimes it's actually, especially in soccer, it's the best thing to do because scoring a, a transition layup in basketball is so much different mm -hmm. from giving up a goal. And guys will do it, but you're right. going to get a yellow card. And if you don't get – and if it's particularly nasty, you might get the red card, and yes. then your team is screwed. So there are ways to uh, – different ways to rule that out um, in, in soccer and the advantage rule, of course. But, yeah, back to the – Back to the whole point, Pete, about the basketball part of this. I, I just it's the best thing the yes. league can do, I think, um, for in terms I think of the purpose of rules is to facilitate the best basketball possible. That's the whole point. It is a sport and it is something that the people who play it and referee it at the highest levels, they certainly know every situation and scenario and the common scenarios in the NBA way, way more than than you or I or, or the fans or right. These are the the utmost effort experts, the ninth degree black belts in every basketball type of situation. And so to facilitate the best type of basketball, I would argue that saying you have to make a play on the ball, that that is 
facilitating good basketball, right? Because there are going to be some plays where the guy jumps the passing lane or, or gets that steal or gets that poke away from behind or something, right? That, oh, I can't slide my feet because he's about to get out onto the into the uh, wing lane and, you know, it's going to be off to the races on a two-on-one after that. But, hey, maybe I could get that poke from behind because I got, you know, really long arms or there are going to be some collisions though, right? That because these are going to be a lot of reach in type of plays. If you want to take that foul, there's going to be some collisions and that's part of the calculus from the defensive player. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm going to reach in, but I'm also going to eat some shoulder or some elbow right in the mouth uh, a, a decent amount of time. And so I would argue that this rule change facilitates more exciting basketball, whether it's the facil- facilitating more fast breaks, but also more plays on the ball at that point of attack. Well, it's also like it's almost like flag football, right? In regular football, you're like, okay, well, here's the here's the runner in well when the open field, I'm going to tackle him. And that's basically the equivalent of the take foul. I'm going to grab him mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it clear that I am making contact here in order for the ref to blow the whistle. But what happens when it's flag football and you can't ta- tackle the dude and you have to reach in and sort of make a play on on this article that is with the offensive player? And what happens is, is you miss, you get juked and I am... This is where it's just like the idea of I have to make a play on the ball, right? Or go for the ball, basically. I think you are going to find some circumstances where guys try to do that. And the guy with the ball is just going to be like, oh, well, I'm going to dribble wide. I see you coming. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to make you make it look like a take foul because you're trying to give a take foul, not just make a play on the ball. Like I think of Trey Young, like nutmegging dudes or like a guy spinning out of that and just sort of just like, no, man, like you trying to foul me. I'm not going to let you. And it is going to create more transition opportunities, I hope, or it is going to create those situations where there really is contact in the game and guys are going to have to like eat it. A little bit, particularly defenders. And this is where I think that forward momentum of, well, I'm just letting this guy go. And and then we're just going to go from there. Right. And and two points. We'll get it back the next time. So I have enjoyed uh, this extended rule and grifting all of this conversation. And I'm happy to continue this at any point. As you know, this is a passion passion project. (laughs) But I also I also want to know if there's anything else after Darius has, has opening here going into this second preseason game that you're looking out for that you really want to see like starting lineup, right. That, that we had heard about over the weekend and we did see is Darwin going to stick with that. Lonnie Walker, I think is going to try and play in this game. So where does he add to the mix? Pete and I talked about the six guards that can't all play. So where's your mind at Darius as we transition into this? Pete, Let me hear from you because I think that um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about like after the rewatch and the second rewatch and the third rewatch, if I know (laughs) my guy, well, like where are you at? It's funny. My system these days is I'll, you know, watch the game as a fan. That's very important to me is that first experience. And, and it's still like, I can't entirely turn the I want to I wish I were coaching this game brain off. Right. Like uh, and but that's part of the fun of the experience. Right. Of doing it live is there's nothing that replicates that. And that's going to be one of Darwin's big challenges uh, is he's done this a few times, uh, filled in for Budenholzer in that uh, head spot. But the main difference is it's a difference between a preparation job and a preparation plus in the moment job. you got to make like very quick decisions and recognitions. And obviously your staff is helping you with that. But he's uh, that's. That's one of the biggest differences, I think, between being an assistant coach 
and a head coach. With respect to Mike's question, uh, I would like to see us keep this starting lineup for a while. We can debate all we want about like the efficacy of this one versus another one, but that like let's just build something that has some degree of continuity. Let's give it what was the the Luke thing that you said the other day, ten games, right? Uh, to look at it, and there since there were so many combinations of possible lineups, rotations, starters, closers, rotation, any, everywhere in between, that the likelihood of nailing it on the first shot, no matter how much preparation and good faith and hard work, like it's unlikely. And of course, there's going to be some adjustments and changes. But that happened even in the championship year. I remember opening night, we had Quinn Cook, Jared Dudley, and Troy Daniels all play in that game. And so a team can change over the course of time. But I do think that we are establishing a foundation and so that's with respect to the lineup. I'll stop there. But with respect to the lineup, D, even though Damian Jones didn't look that great, um, and I, I just want a certain degree of continuity to build off of. Yeah, and I want to give guys a chance to sort of make good on and turn it around a little bit. So to answer Mike's question from, from my perspective, I want Austin Reeves to play better, right? Like, I thought Austin was fine. I thought he made some plays. I thought he was okay defensively. Um, I heard you guys go on um, a sort of extended talk about him and the potential for him to be the odd man out in a little bit and where he's going to fit in and this year's THT. And I was just like, oh, man, like, I hope not. Austin's a good basketball player. And I do think he needs to be more assertive. I also want him to just be a little bit better and take better care of the ball and just things that I like. I know that he can do right. Just like I know things Damian Jones can do. I, like one of the things I'm that I'm looking at to Mike is I'd like to see um, a couple of different front court lineup combinations where. Mm. Um, like in the last game, for example, LeBron played with that bench unit where it was LeBron with Pat Bev and, um, and Austin. And I think, um, Thomas Bryant was in that group and JTA was in that group. I might like to see that switched and have it be AD with that group instead of LeBron, because I'd like to see AD get more opportunities to be the guy who is setting primary screens from the dunker spot and coming up while someone else spaces the floor for him. And so I'd like to see some of that. Similarly, I'd like to see more lineups with AD and Wenyon, for for example, mm -hmm. um, to see what that, com what that front court combination looks like. And then potentially get those groups with Pat Bev and Austin Reeves, where you then have a bit more shooting and skill in the front court, as well as like athleticism to go with that. So there's there's stuff like that, that that I'm um, hoping to start to see over the not only in this game, but in games moving forward. And if I could add one more to my list, Darius mentioned him, uh, Wenyan Gabriel. Like I remember watching him last year, and it's hard to evaluate in those sorts of games because they aren't serious basketball games. But that's also the type of environment where we were watching Alex Crusoe and being like, this guy's actually good. I know these games aren't serious, but like, hey, this guy's good. I don't feel that way to the same extent with Wenyan. But seeing him again, it was like, oh, yeah, this is why I liked this guy. And so there can be guys, Mike, that in their mid-20s, that's when they become a quality role player. Those undrafted guys that grind and grind and grind and they, you know, don't start out in the league, but they really earn themselves a spot. Like Wenyan played well and 
in the ideal circumstance over this training camp, there are a couple of those role guys that are like, hey, that guy's actually playing really well. He earned that spot. And so Wenyon's one of those guys on my list there. I'd like to see more time for groups that the coaching staff who have spent a ton of time over the last several months when you know players are certainly working out and working hard, but coaches are working players out and then planning all yeah. day. You know, they really don't get much off time. So they've been doing a lot. And, and so, okay, who did they think is going to be the best group? Well, we saw the starting lineup that they've been using. The secondary group, how many minutes? Like, I just want to see more than a couple of minutes before you bring in the next guy down the bench to sort of yeah. see how he looks in that group. And that's a tough balance because you want to give guys a shot in actual game time. Some guys rise to the moment. Some guys don't. And that's a trick. I think that's a tough balance in a preseason. But I'm... I just think that this team has so little continuity yeah. that they're probably going to have to just pick a couple of guys earlier than might have seemed typical. And along the coaching point, Mike Brown, I asked him before the game about the transition from assistant to head coach, which is, of course, something that he's done a few times. And he is now doing a new after going with Steve Kerr um, as an assistant and now coming back to take the Kings head job. Uh, we know that he went from assistant to head coach and then we know what happened with the Lakers and he was, I thought, very honest and and kind of the way that he described it was he was all all about X's and O's when he got the head coaching job. He thought that was going to be the thing. And he famously had his big book even after his first head coaching job in Cleveland when he came to L.A. And he was still X's and O's focused. And he came in and that was the thing that apparently had impressed uh, certain people in the Lakers brass. And this is what we're going to do. And he said he now realizes that that was not the first priority. It shouldn't have been it that Popovich and Kerr, the guys that he had been around, that culture was first Amen. and the way that they created a, a situation for the players. And then, yeah, we'll get to the X's and O's, but in the NBA, a lot of teams run a lot of the same stuff. Yes. Some yes. are better than others, but it's, and this is very much what I believe. It's very much how I kind of grew up in the NBA listening to Phil Jackson talking. He had the triangle, but it was the triangle was sort of part of the whole That's thing. Right. It wasn't the triangle is not just yes. X's and O's, right? And speaking of things that, that Pete and Darius could do a couple of additional vibes Mike. It's a vibe. Pods Mike. On. It's a vibe. Uh, but, <laughs> so, you know, I just – that's the part of me that I, I'm thinking about Darwin now. He is a culture guy. Just by his own nature, just by his own personality, he is a culture guy. He, he just is. That's the, that's the part of the reason why people have liked him. But how, do, how does he bring in the basketball to that part of the culture with his system, with his rotations? How – all of these things, I'm, I'm curious to see how that evolves, and we'll be able to tell every preseason game that goes on um, what's what's happening in that context. Yeah, there's all next steps, right? And Ham took his first step as a head coach in coaching that first preseason game, and step number two is tonight. And there are things that I'd like to see, and guess what? There's This is true with every head coach, even Phil Jackson even Pat Riley, even whatever great coach that you can name. I've watched them coach a basketball game and I've thought, why are you doing that? Oh yeah. I'd like it to be this way instead. Yes. Right. And we saw that last year with Frank. We're going to see it this year with Darvin. And that's mm -hmm. not a new thing. Right. And so we can call it a bunch of different things, learning curve or familiarity or whatever. Right. But Coach Ham is taking his first steps as a head coach. I think that he's got some good sort of players to help facilitate 
those steps, Mm -hmm. some guys who he could put his arms around, like around their shoulders, and they could sort of help him take some of those steps in in a more graceful way when you're talking about LeBron and AD and even Pat Bev to to a certain extent, and guys who are just going to help with that. But I think you're right, Mike, that he's going to try to set the culture of the team based off of these are the things that that I value. And he does value defense. And I think he does value competitiveness. And I was impressed with what the Lakers did on that end of the floor, particularly the first shift that the starters played together. I thought they were competitive and I thought they played hard defensively over the course of the game. That started to dwindle a little bit. And I'm interested, too, in like, what did the tape look like? And how did they address what the tape did look like within the group in order to try to get guys to where they want them to go, all within the context of it being the first preseason game? And that's all of the balance stuff that you discussed, too, Mike. And so it is a balancing act. um, And. The goal is to get closer and closer and closer to where you want to be by the time the actual games start. Last year, this team did not do a good job of that at all. And this year, I am hoping that they build on Monday's performance with tonight's performance and get more and get closer, take more positive steps. And and that's kind of to get back to the question you asked earlier, Mike, that's where I'm at in terms of big picture stuff rather than zooming in on on individual guys. And that's what it's all about. It's about having maintaining that big picture focus on these are our goals. This is what all that planning that Mike was talking about that the coaches are doing this that sets your North Star where you want to go. And then there's that very zoomed in to today. Let's win today. And ideally that actually does result in a win on the scoreboard, but there are many ways to do that also in the process of reaching the end of your end goal. And so uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about how it went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Missing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers.
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.